welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week we're going over UFC Vegas 39, headlined by Mackenzie Dern and Marina Hadri. is very much looking forward to this fight as we have two different styles obviously clashing here. We got the uh, jujitsu heavy style of Marina, or sorry, of uh, Mackenzie Dern, and then obviously the heavy striking style of Marina Rodriguez. So very interested to see who's going to be able to go out there and implement their game. Uh, interesting fights sprinkled out throughout the card. Obviously, Tim Elliott versus Mateus Nicolau is a fight that I'm looking at. Uh, Maria Agapova coming back after a gaffe against Shanna Dobson, going up against the game, Sabina Mazzo. Phil Hawes against Duran Wynn. Very interested to see how that one uh, shakes out. Alexander Romanov obviously coming back after that uh, fight with Juan Espino, where he got that uh, technical decision victory after um, Espino grazed his nuts, but I think that was more so of an, an acting job here from Romanov to try to get out of a bad situation. And then Charles Rosa going up against Damon Jackson. Jackson, one out of his 24 professional fights actually went to a decision. So pretty much always guaranteed that we're going to get some fun stuff when Damon Jackson steps inside the cage. So very much looking forward to this 10-fight uh, card Early start as well, 1 p.m. Eastern is the prelim start time, 4 p.m. Eastern for the main card. Five fights on both portions of those, so we should be done these fights by 7 or 7.30 p.m. Eastern, which is great. I'm always on board for that type of stuff. But before we get any further into this uh, podcast, let's go over our last weekend's events. So there's actually three fight, three events that I bet on since the last time I spoke to you guys. Uh, the last time was... Um, Actually, I lied. I didn't even get to do a lock cast for last week, uh, so I might as well go over my UFC 266 uh, recap as well, so I'll quickly go over that for you guys. Uh, the dog of the night play was the under 2.5 in the Hooker and Hackbrast fight. Uh, I wish we saw a little bit more of round 3 Hackbrast in that fight uh, because I think that would have transpired in the finish for sure. You know, Hackbrast was pretty much content being on his back foot for the majority of those uh, first two rounds, but then he really started to push the pace in the third round which created more opportunities for both guys uh but it just wasn't enough time for us to get the finish in that round or that fight um so minus one unit there but the lock of the night play comes through which was the Earl medic and Jalen turner fight doesn't go to decision minus 189 at four units that cashes for a plus 2.12 units you know I knew it was going to be Turner. I thought it was going to be Turner's second round, but I'll take a first round finish as well just to not have me sweat an extra couple minutes in that fight. So plus 1.12 units at UFC 266. Next up, I did have a small wager on uh, Bellator 267. Not a lock of the night by any means, um, but I don't bet on Bellator often, but I felt like I needed to take advantage of the plus 105 on Douglas Lima against Michael Venom Page. Uh, and I thought we got robbed there, guys. Again, I don't... I don't like to blame bad judging or robberies. Uh, whenever I lose a bet, I'll always take it on the chin and I'll move on. But that one, I think that was uh, that one was a pretty bad decision in my opinion. I thought D Lima did enough to win rounds one and three. With that said, the fact that we didn't see any takedowns or attempt at takedowns from Lima in that second round pretty much you know, we have Lima to blame in that situation because he could have made it a much easier fight for himself if he decided to do that. Otherwise, he pretty much gave round two to Michael Page because it was a striking affair for the majority of that round. 
So minus two units on Bellator on that Friday night. The next night was uh, UFC Vegas 38. Uh, dog of the night play comes through. One unit on Jared Gordon at plus 110 comes through. He goes out there and beats Joe Selecki over three rounds. Great win for him there. Um, you know, call that fight to a T pretty much. I'm a big Joe Selecki fan, but Jared Gordon is very, very difficult to deal with whenever you have to go up against him. Next up. Lock the night play, five units misses. It is a parlay, the first of which, which was Douglas Silva de Andrade. That one was never in doubt once that fight started, and I got to see how that one was shaken out. Luckily, DeAndrade was able to go out there and get that quick finish uh, and get that beautiful knockout, which puts Perillo out and more than likely out of the, the UFC as well. And then I thought we were riding, you know, I thought we were free rolling. You know what I mean? I thought we were going into that main event being like, this will probably end within the first two rounds. And then as every single round ended up passing in that main event between Santos and Walker, I don't know what to, ex I don't know how to explain. I wasn't even scoring rounds there. I'm like, I'm, we're not even going to need the judges scorecards for this. So why even bother scoring rounds? I'm seeing people scoring rounds on Twitter and stuff. I'm like, ah, why are you guys even caring? Somebody's going to get finished. Nobody got finished. We saw a completely different Johnny Walker. And then we saw a tentative Tiago Santos. But whenever Tiago Santos was kind of pushing forward, it seems like he was landing good enough strikes that potentially could have been fight enders. But then Johnny Walker just, I don't know what the fuck they were doing over there at SVG with him. But he completely missed the boat there. And uh, we end up losing on the lock of the night play. So five, minus five units on a minus 159 parlay. Uh, that makes us down minus 3.9 units on that card, uh, minus 5.9 on the weekend. Obviously, that Douglas Lima decision, not good at all. If that one did come through, though, we'd only be down about a unit or so uh, on the entire weekend. But a bad decision does not go our way, and we end up pretty uh, down on the, on the weekend, minus 5.9 units. Luckily for us, we get some of it back on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, where I was... Uh, when I put together a unit and a half parlay of uh, on the Dana White contention series, I had to fade the Alaska FC product Patrick White. Came with a lot of sweat as Valdez seemed to have slowed down at the ending of that first round, but luckily was able to get the finish in that second round. So he cashed him there. And then the minus 190 leg of that parlay ends up looking like the minus 650 leg that ended up making me sweat. Mike Malott goes out there and locks up a choke relatively quickly on small. Uh, I'm not even going to try to see the guy's last name, but Shimon, he, he he submits him within like a minute of that fight. So that cashes for 1.1 for a unit. So good win on Tuesday, but I'm hoping to parlay that into this weekend and get another winning streak going for you guys this weekend. I already have my Lock and Night Play posted on the Patreon. Won't be available to the public until Friday evening, so make sure you guys stay tuned for that. Uh, but the Lock and Night Play is already in play and posted, like I said. Uh, Dog of the Night Plays will, become, will be coming very shortly as well, probably by... Uh, probably by tonight which is wednesday or at least early thursday and then again you guys will have to wait until friday to hear that news so um yeah let, let's just get the sponsors out of the way real quick shout out to my patreon members uh we did dip below that 400 mark but we are getting back close to it again Obviously, uh, losing a couple events doesn't help, but once we get back on that winning streak, I know that love will come right back around. So make sure you guys check out the Patreon. Like I said, I put uh, early access to the breakdowns on there. Uh, I do uh, a Best Bets and Props article where even though I might be low volume in terms of my official bets, 
I give you I run through every single fight on that best bets and props article and give you guys my best bet and prop for every single fight along with the confidence rating as well so you guys can see where I'm at with that prize picks tips article drops on there where I go through every single fight and give you my best prize pick tip for it and uh the 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 discord probably the most valuable aspect to the patreon five bucks a month uh gives you access to that discord as well which is you know littered with just amazing people that uh you know drop plays not just for the mma world but for other sports as well and uh, we've created a solid bond there so i'm very happy with the guys that are in there and i i hope they stick around for a long time because it's going to be tough to replicate that kind of chemistry and that kind of crew so uh, make sure you guys check out the discord as well if you do sign up for the patreon and then secondly shout out to coolbet coolbet.com use promo code mmalotn2 that's the number two they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks uh great website love using them uh you can parlay props you know you can do whatever the hell you want there probably one of the better bookies out there in terms of being um being able to go back and analyzing your bets and they have so many cool tools that you guys can use on there uh but obviously big supporters of the podcast so i obviously support them as well so make sure you guys go check out coolbet coolbet.com promo code mma lotn2 again that's the number two and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks all right that's a wrap on the intro here uh, i'm sure you guys want to hear my thoughts on these upcoming 10 fights so let's not waste any more time i will see you guys on the flip side to wrap this podcast up steve garcia versus charlie Yontaveros. we got minus 310 on the jackson wing fighter steve garcia and plus 255 the return on charlie Ontiveros. let's start off on the uh steve garcia side of things who put together a pretty decent resume on his regional record before making it to the ufc fighting guys like sean bunch um ricky tercios who he ended up losing to via decision beating ronnie lawrence who obviously has a very bright future in the ufc especially after his dominant ufc debut and ended up losing to joe warren and alan cruz the alan cruz fight was a quick submission victory for um uh for cruz in that fight uh but then since then put together four straight wins uh one of them or his most recent one being against jose mariscal uh, where he was able to finish him in a very weird finish as well right a very highly criticized by a lot of people in that fight but he did end up getting his hand raised and had pretty good moments in that fight with his striking Luis Pena fight very difficult to tell how that would have truly played out for a guy like Steve Garcia if he had a full training camp for that but the majority of the fight was Luis Pena just grapple fucking and just backpacking Steve Garcia for the majority of 50 minutes in that fight so we didn't get to see too much of Garcia's game plans there now uh, he was scheduled at least three times to fight all had to pull out but now here he is going up against Charlie Antaveros which is probably the easiest fight out of all the fights that he was lined up for good striking can go for the takedowns if he needs it and i think that's where he's probably going to shine most here against a guy like charlie Antaveros. uh like i said he is a jackson wink product but the thing for me now is that jackson wink has definitely fallen off heavily since uh you know the, the claim to fame and the rise to fame having guys like john jones and andre olovsky and a lot of those guys uh, holly home obviously being down there uh, a lot of guys used to seek out jackson wink as their premier destination to get high level training however it's falling off a cliff right we got jones there we got holm there we got maurice green there now um khalid Murtazaliev, who just recently lost for bellator and now steve garcia is really the only other guy that's still there you know i mean i don't know if you can truly call it a super camp anymore because if you want to look at a super camp you're looking at you know uh uh sanford mma uh, american top team 
um, Extreme Couture, Syndicate MMA, maybe not Syndicate as much, but they probably have more talent inside the UFC than Jackson Wink does at this point in time. So that does give me a little bit of pause on the Steve Garcia side of things, but luckily for him, I think he's much, much better than what Ontiveros brings to the table. In my opinion, Ontiveros is more so a fighter to get the is to 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 get the fame of it more so than to actually be a fighter because there's been some situations where it seems like he's just given up in fights and again i'm sure if i'm put in these certain situations i'd probably give up too because i'm not a fucking fighter <laughs> you know what i mean but i think that charlie Ontiveros, you know he's flashy right he has a taekwondo background if i'm not mistaken throws a lot of spinning stuff flying stuff um axe kicks all that stuff like we saw in the kevin holland fight but when push really comes to shove i think he starts to break and he starts to fall and i feel like a guy like steve garcia can put in put him into those situations i think the best way for garcia to win this fight is pretty much do what luis pena did to him last time around grapple fuck him if steve garcia can go out there and ground charlie Ontiveros, who's going to be the bigger fighter right the whole narrative of this whole week has been both guys are uh coming from opposite directions of weight classes and meeting at 155 pounds you have charlie Ontiveros, who came in on short notice against kevin Hahn last time around and weighed 182 pounds but the majority of his career was spent at 170 pounds whereas on the flip side for um garcia 35 are in the past 45 are majority uh, for the most of the part and now 155 pounder obviously especially uh last him around when i believe it was 155 against um Luis Pena on short notice, yeah, 155. But here he is now uh, fighting. You know, he looks like a, a solid body at 155 pounds. It seems like he should have enough strength to go out there and ground Charlie Ontiveros in the spot. I, I think he just absolutely runs to Ontiveros here. Again, I, unless like a flash Hail Mary knockout from Ontiveros, I think that Garcia just pushes Ontiveros to the brink here and then eventually makes him quit and possibly gets him out of there in the second round. I'm expecting some grapple fucking here from Steve Garcia to stay as safe as he possibly can. And then I think that his uh, ground and pound is going to be more than enough to get on Tavares out of there. So my my pick here is going to be uh, Steve Garcia. And I'm going to take him to win this fight via second round TKO. Lupita Godinez going up against Silvana Juarez, who's stepping in on short notice here for Sam Hughes after she had to pull out due to her corner man testing positive for COVID. Now, luckily for Juarez, she was scheduled to fight next weekend, or sorry, next week on Tuesday on the Tuesday Night Contender Series against Marina Silva, I believe the chick's name was. But luckily for her, she gets this quick call up here and she doesn't have to go to the Contender Series interview process uh, to make it into the UFC and luckily for her, you know, at 36 years old, I probably would have expected Dana White, no matter the outcome of that fight, to be like, she's a little bit too old to be considered a contender at this point in time. But she has some good skill after running the tape here. You know, I am a little, I am quite impressed with what I've been seeing, especially with the striking style, calf kicking style, good combinations, good, uh, you know, um, understanding of kind of range as well uh she does have a loss to ariani lipsky earlier in his career when uh lipsky was a shit over there in ksw and it just seems like she had a little bit of uh um issues is sorry issues in terms of dealing with the violent striking style of Ariane Lipsky that night you know pretty much rendering her rendering herself useless on the end of uh the the jab and the strikes of Lipsky and pretty much just backing up the entire fight there but when she's really on you see her put the pressure onto her opponents you know stuff takedowns and and really put the the pressure on them with her striking style now there is a little bit of concern in terms of the level of competition we've been seeing Juarez go up against you know when she's fighting in UWC and all those other regions promotions can almost kind of say that here for Lupita Godinez as well you know uh, Vanessa Demopoulos not really the highest level of opponent 
Uh, even before that, Lindsey Garbat was, you know, 37, 38 years old, former boxer coming into MMA a little bit too late in her career. Uh, she was having tremendous success in that fight. Now she's going up against the girl in Juarez, you know, who will probably meet her strike for strike and deal with that in a hard-nosed striking style of Godinez. Um, I think the best way for Godinez to win this fight is actually to drag it to the ground. She could have some success there, but I do think that Juarez could potentially be the stronger fighter in this situation, especially when we're talking about like strength, like like muscle and and being able to 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 out muscle their opponents. Juarez could have some good success there. The opener on this was absolutely ridiculous though. Minus 600 for Gordinas, which quickly got bet down to minus 210. And people are starting to, you know, believe that Juarez has all the chops to, to go out there and pull off uh, uh, an upset in this fight. And I think she will. I'm actually going to be predicting Juarez to win this fight. I think she could be the the cleaner, crisper striker. We've seen some fight IQ gas from Godinas, especially in a fight against Jessica Pena. And say what you want about who deserved to win that fight. She continuously put herself into bad positions that allowed Pena to to or Pena to uh, to to take advantage of it. And she ended up winning the decision. You know, what I mean, again, say what you want about the decision. Lupita was not helping her case by continuously putting herself into bad positions. Now, this one I'm fully expecting to be a, a completely a striking battle. And in a striking battle, you know, a girl in Juarez, 12 fight pro career, 36 years old, whereas Lupita Godinez, six fight six fights into her, half the amount of experience that what Juarez has. And although she is a younger one and could possibly be making improvements on a fight-to-fight basis, I think that, uh, you know, this might be the peak of what we're going to see from Juarez. And I think it could be enough to go out there and outstrike a girl like Godinez. Combinations, calf kicks, like I said, which is going to be big here for her, especially in this fight where I expect Godinez to try to push the pressure and just stay on her. I think we're going to see uh, Godinez deal with a lot of resistance in this fight. And Juarez is just not going to back down. And luckily, like I said for Juarez... Not a short notice spot really for her. Short notice in terms of the opponent, but she was supposed to fight, you know, three days later anyway. So she's peaking at the opportune moment. Um, as long as she's able to make the weight relatively easily here uh, on weigh-in day, again, it's kind of expedited considering that she's fighting a couple days earlier. Let's see what she looks like on the scales first, and then we'll figure out whether if uh, she should be worth an underdog shot here. But in terms of prediction, I think she has all the chops to go out there and make this a tough night for Lupita Godina. So... My pick is going to be Juarez, and I'm going to pick her to win this fight via decision by outstriking Lupita Godinez. Charles Rosa versus Damon Jackson. We got minus 175 on Damon Jackson and plus 155 on Charles Rosa. Now, Charles Rosa was a lock of the night play for me in his last fight when he went up against us, Justin James, but he made that way too close of a fight than it should have been, especially in that third round where we saw James get very close in getting a submission in that fight. Uh, after that, I almost lost all respect for Charles Rosa in terms of a fighter and his ability to go out, th- go out there and actually win fights. Um, good jiu-jitsu, obviously great submission defense as we've seen in you know his uh, Bryce Mitchell fight and then obviously that Justin James fight as well. And uh, he has a very interesting striking style as well where you see when he's in the southpaw stance, he likes his kind of karate wonder boy style, kicking heavy style from that stance, but then he turns into more of a boxer when he gets to his conventional orthodox uh, stance. Uh, with Damon Jackson, on the other hand, you're talking about a guy that's only been to a decision once in his 24-fight pro MMA career, and he does have a ton of finishes on his record, as you would expect. Uh, very durable, uh, you know, used to be in the UFC in the past, and then uh, got cut, 
worked his way back to the UFC and pulled off a, a pretty big upset in his debut when he was able to come back against uh, Mursad Bektik and get him out of there in that third round. And then uh, he goes out there and gets absolutely starched by a perennial prospect, Ilya Toporia, who's probably top five at this point in time in his respective weight class. But in this fight specifically, I think we're going to see Charles Rosa have a ton of... Um, difficulty dealing with the style of Damon Jackson you know I think Damon Jackson has a pretty good striking game but his grappling is definitely where he shines and I think he'll be able to put Charles Rosa into some pretty precarious positions where Damon Jackson should be able to grind him out and uh it, could he find a submission possibly but uh Charles Rosa has shown some pretty damn good durability as well in his um in, in his arsenal in regards to not being submitted and we've seen him in some very tight submissions in the past and not actually give up uh Earlier in the week, I was a little bit uh, intrigued and enthused by seeing plus money on an under in a Damon Jackson fight. However, with the durability that we've been seeing from Charles Schover over his past several fights, I got to kind of lean with Jackson, kind of just out grinding him and going to a decision for the second time in his 25 fight career after this weekend. So I do like Damon Jackson in this fight. I do think he has great uh, cardio. I do think he uh, has the better jits when it comes to being able to control his opponents here. And in the striking, I don't think it's a blow away from either guy. But I think that the pace and the pressure that we'll see from Damon Jackson will allow him to kind of control and dictate the pace of this fight so i do like damon jackson here i'm going to take him to win this fight by decision again not something that he does often but given the durability and the submission defense we've been seeing from charles rosa i think it will hold up once again here against a guy like damon jackson but i don't think it'll be enough for him to overcome optically speaking what it's going to look like and that's going to be damon jackson controlling the majority of this fight so my prediction will be damon jackson via decision here against charles rosa we got the return of King Kong Romanov stepping into the cage going up against Jared Vandera. We're looking at minus 485 now for Alexander Romanov and plus 385 uh, on Jared Vandera. Obviously a bunch of uh, different types of odds that you're going to be seeing. Minus 400 for Romanov, minus 500 at certain spots. And the best you're going to be able to find on Jared Vandera is about plus 400 or at least in the higher plus 300 range. Now, another somewhat binary fight to break down for you guys here in terms of we know Romanov will more than likely need to get the takedown here to be successful, as we saw tremendous improvements from Vandera in his last fight against Justin Toffa. Now, speaking specifically about that fight, what I found interesting was Vandera's output in that fight. Anytime Justin Toffa threw anything out there, whether it was one strike or a combination, we saw Jared Vandera pretty much answer immediately with a combination of his own, which is why he was able to double and triple the strikes that Justin Toffa was throwing out there. And not only was he just throwing them out there, he was throwing them out there with conviction and actually landing some good damage on D Justin Taffa. Now, even though it looked like uh, Vandera was wearing a lot of the damage because of the cuts that he had sustained, the numbers were not even close in terms of what Vandera was able to put up uh, in, in return for whatever Taffa was throwing at him. Uh, Van it's interesting because a lot of people thought that if, for Vandera to be successful in that fight, he would need to implement his grappling, get the takedown, but there was none of that really. It was just and it was, it was a numbers game for him, essentially. And it seemed like the lack of grappling allowed his cardio to really hold up for the majority of 15, 15 minutes because they're, you know, striking and, and doing it at, going at a decent pace. But uh, Vandera did a really good job in terms of throwing his own combinations out there and returning every single time Justin Toffa threw a strike of his own so that he knew he was always up no matter what was happening. And it definitely showcased for him, and which is why he was able to go out there and spring the upset as a, my, or as a plus 170, plus 180 underdog that night in a way 
that nobody predicted him to win that fight either, which is going into a striking battle with a, you know, a decent kickboxer with a, a guy with the kickboxing background like Justin Taffa. Now in this fight, he's going to be dealing with a completely different type of opponent, right? You got Romanov who's going to go out there and try to do the Sergei Spivak against him. Try to drag this fight to the ground and overwhelm him with strikes or look for a submission on the ground. But one thing that we kind of saw in Romanov's last fight is that if he's not able to get the early finish, things get a little bit dicey. You know, I you know, I think he did his best Aljamain Sterling impression that night against um Juan Espino, as that 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 cup shot did not look as bad as it really did. It kind of looked bad in the in the slow-mo replays, but if you guys watch that shit in real time, it didn't it looked like he just tapped him. Uh, you know, I, I think uh Romanov got away with a with a with a decent win there, uh, a very sketchy, a controversial win, but we definitely saw his flaws if he's not able to get you out of there in those first two rounds. Vandera. You know, he has a background in wrestling. He's a good, uh, he does decent work in the clinch. Uh, you know, trains out of that Dan Henderson training facility out there in Temecula, California, where you know you're definitely going to have your wrestling uh, on point and they're going to be drilling that on a on a fight-to-fight basis. Um if he's able to stay safe here against Romanov, he could make it. He could make it very difficult. You know, what I mean, I know the round three prop here on Jared Vander is sitting around plus two thousand, and I'm gonna have to take a little bit of a shot, no matter how big of a fan I am of Alexander Romanov. I am ultimately gonna pick Romanov to win this fight because I feel like if Spivak can go out there and do that against Vandera, I think we'll see the same success here from Romanov. But with that said, Spivak has a much better gas tank than what we've been seeing recently from Romanov. And uh, again, if if Romanov's not able to get him out of there early and if he's having the difficulties in terms of trying to ground Vandera and keep him there he's just going to gas out and I wouldn't be surprised to see Vandera put some punches together and put him away in the third round so um I might have a little bit of Romanov action in terms of a, a couple parlays here and there um but I will definitely be hedging out with some Vandera round three or even Vandera um by knockout which is roughly around plus 600 um that could that's definitely viable as well um Again, I, I, normally I thought I'd be going into here with Romanov as a lock of the night type of play. Again, still picking him to win this fight. But uh, that, that gas tank is hella hella shady. And Vandera, Vandera having a little bit of a grappling background gives me some pause in terms of pulling that trigger here on Romanov. So I will go Romanov second round TKO. But I will hedge a little bit with that round three Vandera or even that Vandera KO at plus 600. Chris Gutierrez versus Felipe Kolarish. We got minus 250 on Gutierrez and plus 210 on Felipe Kolarish. Another fight where I feel like the line is a little bit too wide considering the type of fighters that we're getting in this situation. Now, Chris Gutierrez has been making a name for himself, especially since the Vince Morales fight, uh, you know, early in the pandemic era of the UFC, where he was able to go out there and absolutely butcher the leg of uh, Vince Morales and then get him out of there, I believe, in the second round of their fight. Then in his next two fight goes out there uh, and goes to a draw with Cody Durden who came in on a super short notice. I believe it was about a two week short notice that he came in uh, and up a weight class as well. Cody Durden goes out there and just absolutely grinds out that first round, gets a 10-8 on all judges court cards and then ends up losing the next two rounds as he's not able to complete takedowns and Gutierrez's uh, you know, preparedness and, and uh, striking really start to take over in that fight but it wasn't enough for him to get the nod. Ultimately that fight goes to a draw like like I said, that is next fight against Andre Ewell, fighting a striker who has a nice, long, uh, rangy style, but does leave his leg out there to be chewed up. And we did see it start to add up. And eventually, Andre Ewell was uh, really hurt in that uh, that third round. I think he got a couple 10-8 scorecards as well. And we saw Chris Gutierrez win that fight. Um, 
But there are sticky situations for uh, Gutierrez in his past fights, right? Even the Geraldo de Freitas fight, a fight that I'm seeing a lot of people say, you know, you know, if you want to do MMA math, like this is a fight. But if you guys actually go back and even go to MMA decisions, that's a fight that people had going both ways. You know, de Freitas won that first round. Second round is close. Uh, third round, Gutierrez probably ended up winning. But, you know, that, that was a close fight. Could have gone either way that night. Um, so f- for me... I, I, I like the calf kicking style. That's something that you guys see me pretty big on a lot of fighters. But I think that Kolaris could do some good work in terms of landing a takedown. We've seen Gutierrez get held down and, and controlled in, in fights in the past. De Freitas was successful in doing so. Durden was successful in doing so. And I feel like a guy like Kolaris, who's done it in the past against guys like Domingo Pilarte and, and Luke Sanders, he's had some good uh, uh, success with as well. Um, I think he could do that here to Chris Gutierrez if he's able to kind of clinch up with Gutierrez and really drag this fight to the ground and kind of nullify the amount of calf kicking success that Gutierrez will have in this fight. It seems like a lot of Gutierrez's success is predicated around it, around beating up that front wheel or that real rear wheel of his opponents. And if he's not to, if he's not able to do so. You know he's kind of low volume like there, there's so many times where you see in his corners where his coaches are asking for more volume but you know he's winning the fights just because of the damage that he's able to accrue on his opponent's lead leg here with Clark, you're getting a guy that you know seems like he's close to getting finished in, in a couple of his fights but he's never been finished in any of his fights very durable and even after shit kicking is still able to come out there in the second and third rounds and put on a pace and a pressure on his opponents that they're not able to keep up with at times and i feel like he could push gutierrez into deep waters in this fight you know sure beat up that lead leg but i'm going to keep closing that distance try and drag this fight to the ground and control you you know, it might just need be one takedown in rounds one and two. That's all, or you know, one takedown each in rounds one and two will be all he needs to win this fight by decision and just, uh, you know, uh, rely on his durability in round three to be able to survive and see the judges' scorecards. This line is way too wide for me. Again, I, I've I've kind of, um, I've I've kind of started to respect the game of Felipe a little bit more, and I feel as though he's much better than this line currently indicates. And again. Uh, just similar to the um, Phil Hawes fight, um, I think this that this is a little bit of an over-exaggeration, especially with like Chris Gutierrez, when he's not having tremendous success with his leg kicks, he's winning these fights by like a, a bare margin. And say what you want about Felipe Clark being super hittable, last time we actually seen Chris Gutierrez win fights by TKO, by, by punches, not by the leg kicks that he was able to dispatch Vince Morales with a couple fights ago. But the last time he actually finished somebody with punches was Jimmy Flick, I believe three or four years ago at this point in time. And we know at this point in time that Jimmy Flick's, Flick does not have a striking game to save his life. So yeah, of course, Gutierrez is going to be able to touch him up on the feet. But this is not a Chris Gutierrez that has crazy knockout power, like more knockout power than Montel Jackson, who threw everything and the kitchen sink at Felipe Clark. And he was still standing there and, you know, putting up a good enough fight and making Montel Jackson work, making Montel Jackson nearly gas out in this fight. Kolarish is always coming for making it very tough and I think he's going to be able to do that here against Chris Gutierrez as well so I, I am leaning with the Kolarish side of things does he pull off a submission I don't think so but he can pull off enough control time here uh, get a takedown maybe backpack uh, Gutierrez for a bit if he needs to but I think he'll be able to control this fight um, nullify the calf kicking success of Chris Gutierrez and truly make Gutierrez work in a grappling and clinch scenario where I think that we'll see Kolarish have tremendous success so 
I'm taking a shot here on Kolaris plus 210. I think the line is a little bit too wide. And I think once these guys start to wrap up and get into the clinch positions, people are going to completely understand why, you know, Chris Gutierrez probably was more of a trap spot than anything this coming weekend. So my official pick is going to be Felipe Kolaris, and I'm going to take him to win this fight via decision. And in terms of a prop for that specifically, we're seeing Kolaris going off via submission at, or via decision, sorry, at plus 430, which I don't think is a bad, too bad of a line. But again, plus 210 as a money line, I'm happy with that too. And that covers more outcomes as well, depending on how Kolaris wins this fight. So official prediction, Felipe Kolaris via decision. Phil Hawes versus Duran Wynn, and we got heavy chalk on the side of Phil Hawes sitting at minus 320 with the return on Duran Wynn roughly around plus 260. I don't agree with this line at all. I, I think it's a way, it's way too much of an over-exaggeration from the last two fights that we've been seeing from Phil Hawes, who, you know, is going out there and absolutely stunning people in terms of going out there and winning decision fights, uh, you know, all before, uh, or at least earlier in his career, it seemed to all come via knockout early in his fights and if he's not able to get that early finish more often than not he would go out there and get finished in the second or third rounds <clears throat> but he's doing the unthinkable the last two fights uh the first of which being against Nasruddin Imovov where he was able to you know get the takedowns grind him out in that fight but whenever the fight was in the striking round we saw Imovov have tremendous success especially when he's kind of walking down Phil Haas but luckily for Phil, he was able to uh, tie up in the clinch and land takedowns when he needed to, especially at his most dire uh, moments in that fight. For some reason, it seemed like Imovov had no uh, real desire to disengage from the clinch positions or maintain that distance and let his striking go. Although we did see uh, tremendous improvements from Imovov in his next fight against Ian Heinish, where he actually went out there stay that distance and got his own work going and then eventually dispatching of Heinrich, I believe, in the second round of that fight. If we got that Imovov against Phil Haas, I thought I think we would see Imovov actually get the finish in that fight as well. Then the next fight, Kyle Dawkins. You know, he goes in there as a slight underdog to Kyle Dawkins, as a lot of people believed that he'd be able to weather the early storm from Phil Haas and then lock up a submission in that second or third round. But Phil did a decent job in terms of landing some good uh, shots from uh, himself on the feet, but then was always able to bail himself out by landing takedowns. And it seemed like Kyle Dawkins was a little bit too comfortable off of his back and just couldn't lock up that submission uh, when the fight was on the feet and Kyle was pushing him back he was making uh he, he was throwing everything at Phil Hawes and Phil Hawes there were certain spots where it seemed a little bit shaky and a little bit tentative for him and he did get uh you know clipped a couple times and possibly with a heavier puncher you could possibly see that fight uh get stopped via strikes as well now in this fight with Deron Wynn uh Wynn obviously coming off a win over uh no no pun intended there coming off uh, a win over Antonio Hoyo where he was able to not 12 takedowns in that fight and that means that we saw uh, Antonio Hoyo get to his feet at least 12 13 times whatever it was but uh when was still more than successful in terms of closing that distance in a fight where he had a 6-3 fighter against a 5-6 fighter and uh when was able to close the distance land takedowns pretty much at will and grind out that fight and get that unanimous decision victory i think that ohio is a much better striker compared to what Haas brings to the table but they do share one thing in common which is the low volume which i don't think is going to affect duran win too much in this fight uh, the game plan i'm expecting when to come in with is just Early in this fight, push uh, Haas up against the cage, uh, try to wear him down, 
And I think that if these guys went takedown for takedown, we'd see Duran win actually come up on top here. And that's why I'm kind of leaning him in this fight, and which is why I actually believe this line should be much closer. The 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 public perception of Duran win is just a, a little bit of a joke, right? He's five six fighting at 185 pounds. Like he should not be this uh at this weight class. He should probably be, you know, a 55 or or even a 45er if he actually got his diet and all that stuff check in check. But he's adjusted to it. He's fought much bigger guys his, pretty much his entire career. Even his last fight before coming to the UFC was against four middle, former middleweight and light heavyweight fighter Tom Lawler. Goes out there, grinds him out, and then earns himself a UFC contract. Uh, if he can avoid the early bombs here from Phil Haas, I think he'll be able to out-wrestle him and out-grapple him in the second and third rounds and more often than not end up on top. We haven't really seen Phil Haas have to work off of his back, so I'm interested to see what that would look like. And, you know, historically speaking, from what we've been seeing from wrestlers, they don't normally look the greatest off their back, nor do they have the greatest get-ups either, especially if they have had cardio issues in the past. The same could be said for Deron Wynn, but I, but I don't think that it's going to be a, a massive difference in terms of... Uh, you know the, the the strength and the size of Phil Hawes playing so playing so much of a factor as to why Duran Win won't win this fight. So I, again, I think this is a massive massive over. Sorry, I think this is a massive over exaggeration from the last two fights we've seen from Phil Hawes. And I think we're going to see Duran Win go out there and pull off the upset in this fight. So plus two sixty, I'm in. Plus five fifty for decision, I'm in on that too. Uh, I do think that there is a possibility that Win could get him out of there late. Um, you know, not a huge technical striker is Duran Win, but he can put together some decent combinations. And if he can't have Phil Hawes on his back foot, I think he could potentially find a finish as well with his hands um, if he can land some good strikes and keep up the tenacity and putting that pressure on Phil Hawes and then overwhelming him with strikes. The TKO is roughly around plus 750 and round three is roughly around plus 2600. Gotta take a little bit of a shot on that but with that said the money line at plus 260 I think is a bit of a steal in this situation as well. So my official pick is going to be Deron win by decision but I will be sprinkling sprinkling those props that I just spoke about and uh, I will more than likely have Deron win as a dogger than I play for this weekend. Sabina Mazo versus Maria Agapova. We got minus 160 on Mazo and plus 140 on the returning Agapova. Now, most people will remember Agapova as being a minus 1200 favorite in her last fight against Shanna Dobson. She went balls to the wall in the first round, could not find a finish, and then eventually got finished herself in the second round by Shanna Dobson. Again, very uh, difficult fight for a lot of people, especially if they parlayed Agapova at such a high line there. Um, uh, Mazo, on the other hand, obviously coming off a uh, loss to uh, uh, Alexis Davis in her last fight as a pretty decent favorite herself. Maybe not minus 1,200, but she still did end up coming up on the losing end there. But the, the reason I believe Mazo ended up losing that fight was clear as day, right? We saw Alexis Davis moving forward the entire time and then eventually landing takedowns and accruing enough top control to be able to take home a decision victory. Agapova, on the other hand, does she have a similar skill set or at least the similar skills in terms of being able to drag the fight to the ground and control Mazo there as that seems to be Mazo's kryptonite? I don't think so though, right? Agapova obviously recently moved over to MMA Masters, so I'm interested to see what kind of fighter they're going to start crafting her into, but with Sabina Mazo, we kind of know what we're always getting, you 
you know, her King's MMA style, good kickboxing, good distance striking, but she really does her best work when she's able to have that room to operate. You know, you're getting an unorthodox fighter here in Agapova who could make it a little bit difficult, but I think for Agapova to win this fight, she needs to drag this fight to the ground. I don't think that she's going to have much success on the feet, uh, although she does have an unorthodox style, very flashy at times, but I think the, the discipline style of Sabina Mazzo is going to be a little bit too much for Agapova to actually handle in this fight. Again, will Agapova has a, have as much grappling success as we saw Alexis Davis or even other fighters that have beaten Sabina Mazzo have? I don't think so. You know, I really think that Sabina Mazzo will make it very difficult for her to close that distance and she'll be eating some shots. And even Agapova's wrestling game, I just don't think it's that high uh, high level. Justine Kish is a fighter that I actually faded Mazzo with in the past. Now is like a minute away from cashing that underdog ticket. Uh, however, Mazzo found a beautiful head kick to floor Justine Kish and then eventually finished her right after that. I think Agapova, she won't be able to get that tremendous grappling success in this fight. I don't expect her to come out like a banshee like she did in her last fight as i'm sure that was a great learning experience for her and i think she you know was drinking a little bit too much of that kool-aid of her own self especially seeing her as a minus 1000 minus 1200 favorite going into that fight but now hopefully she's humbled herself a little bit obviously there's been some crazy talks about her just being an absolute you know drug head and and clubbing all the time i believe it was marina morose who actually uh, uh leaked that news uh agapova obviously declining it but you know we know she she likes her Molly sometimes and she wants to go out there and actually have a little bit of fun. It seems like she's a nightlife kind of girl. Uh, where Sabina Mazzo seems like she's dead set on, you know, righting her wrongs, wants to go out there, put on a good performance, show off her striking once again, and uh, assert herself once again in this division. I like Mazzo in this spot. I, I think her striking is going to be the key in this fight, and I just don't think that Agapova is grappling to go out there and give Mazzo as much trouble as fighters in the past have, like Justine Kish or Alexis Davis. So, I'm going Sabina Mazzo. I think she outstrikes uh, Maria Agapova over 15 minutes and takes home a unanimous decision victory. Matthias Nikolaou versus Tim Elliott. We got minus 200 on the Brazilian and plus 170 on awkward MMA Tim Elliott. Let's start off on the Tim Elliott side of things. Who's coming off a pretty dominant victory over Jordan Espinosa the last time out where he was able to ground the fight pretty much at will and then go to absolute work on Jordan Espinosa being more and more successful as Espinosa started to slow down in that fight. And the fight before that, we did see him go out there and squeak out a decision victory over Ryan Benoit. A very close fight that probably could have gone either way but it seems like Tim Elliott is slowly starting to find his groove and really you know capitalizing on the spots where he feels like he has the advantage over his opponents which is more often than not his grappling style with the striking style we know what to expect with it right very awkward not very conventional um likes to throw spinning stuff flying stuff uh very awkward and and different types of combinations which ultimately will allow him to close the distance and drag fights to the ground if that's where he truly wants to get it on the flip side with Matthias Nicolau we're getting a much better technical striker who has some pretty good uh, power behind his hands but obviously a black belt in jiu-jitsu will allow him to be very successful on the ground if that's where he chooses to take fights as well I don't think that he'll be in too much trouble if he does find himself on his back and I do think he will have a good enough job in terms of hitting reversals uh, and possibly finding himself in top position or getting back to the feet and landing some good shots in the striking room. Nicolau obviously coming off his uh, return to the UFC where he was able to go out there and beat Manal Cap in a very close fight. You know, a lot of people on MMA decisions actually scored that fight for a cop. Uh, it obviously came down to that third round and I felt as though we saw Nicolau go out there and throw some, you know, much better uh, volume and pressure for the majority of that round, although Cap did land some pretty good shots near the ending there that possibly could have, you know, 
put it his way as well. So I'm not, you know, going to sit here and say that uh, Nikolaj 100% deserved to win that last fight. But we did see some good things in, from him in that fight, especially against a guy who was seemingly the superior striker. But we saw Nikolaj have tremendous success in terms of landing some good strikes of his own. I'm expecting him to have the better of the striking exchanges in this fight against Elliot as well, as Elliot with his crazy and wild winging style at times leaves himself to be hit. And I feel like that Nikolaj will be able to take advantage of those certain situations. Uh, the takedowns, again, they're, they're, that is definitely something sneaky that Tim Elliott could do in this fight, especially with that hip toss that he was able to hit a couple times with Askar Askarov and a couple other fighters in the past. But I feel as though we'll, soon, we'll see Nikolaou, um really... Uh, nullify the amount of success that Tim Elliott will have after landing those types of shots whether it's him getting back to his feet or finding a reversal where he'll be end up will he where he'll end up being in the uh, more dominant position now Tim Elliott, Tim Elliott could you know optically speaking win some decent minutes and seconds here against a guy like Nikola especially if he's going to be pushing him back however I think that we'll see the more devastating strikes come from the Nikola side of things whenever Tim Elliott gets a little bit too cocky has his hands down and just relies on head movement which we've seen in the past but you know he, he needs to put the the foot on the gas a little bit more in terms of output uh at certain points uh, I do think Nikolaou is the much better fighter pretty much everywhere in this fight. I do think he has the shot to actually go out there and submit Tim Elliott in this spot too. Uh, you know, Nikolaou is very high on him coming into the UFC and although I th expected a much better performance from him in that Manel Cap fight, I still think he has tremendous potential and can definitely be one of the top five guys at 125 pounds. This is a, a great stylistic matchup for him to go out there and showcase just that. I do think that we'll see uh, uh, Elliott have a little bit of success in this fight, but there might be times where he gets a little bit too wild and awkward and finds himself in a, a submission situation which I think that Nikolaou will be able to take more than advantage of so I actually really like Nikolaou in this spot probably one of my more one of my more confident spots on the card I think he'll win the striking exchanges I do think he'll get a little bit you know scrappy at times in the grappling situations but I do think that we'll see Nikolaou come out on top and possibly even find a submission in this fight once we see Elliot get a little bit overzealous and possibly too desperate uh to to complete a takedown at times so i'm gonna take nicolau and i'm actually gonna take him to win this fight via third round submission as i do think he has the best or the better jujitsu in this spot and i do think he'll be, be able to find uh tim elliott and catch him in one of those spots so uh, i think either decision or submission here for nicolau but for an official prediction i'm gonna go with nicolau and take him to win this fight via third round submission Randy Rude Boy Brown going up against Jared Gooden. We got minus 245 on Brown and plus 205 is the return here on Jared Gooden. Uh, very interesting fight here between a, a power puncher and Jared Gooden who pulled off a pretty significant uh, upset last time around against Nicholas Stolze where he was able to pretty much hit him at will with his lead left hook every single time Stolze closed the distance or threw a combination we saw Jared Gooden land a beautiful lead left hook or a check left hook whatever you want to call it uh to really you know land solid damage on Stolze it seemed to be hurt him every single time and then eventually one of them did end up flooring uh Stolze and then he followed up with some ground and pound to get the finish in that fight so good win for Jared Gooden there especially to get his hand raised in the UFC for the first time now he's going up against Randy Brown who's a little bit more of a technician on the feet or a little bit better with the Muay Thai on the feet than what we saw from Nicholas Stolze but I do think he's going to struggle a little bit with the leg kicks that Jared Gooden will more than likely be implementing in this fight we saw it give Randy Brown tremendous trouble obviously in the Vicente Luque fight gave him some early trouble against Alex Oliveira before he planted him on his butt and then eventually found that one arm rear naked choke 
but I'd be surprised if he has a similar amount of success here against a guy like Jared Gooden, who's just going to bite down in his mouthpiece, move forward and throw some big hooks and, and, and land some big shots on, on Brown, not to mention you know, to to complement the leg kicks that he'll more than likely be throwing here against Randy Brown. I think the line is just a little bit too wide. You know, I mean, I, I'm a fan of Randy Brown. I think he's skilled. I think he has some good technical striking, but I think he's going to run into some trouble here with the heavy hitting style of Jared Gooden. Um, it's almost uh, like I want to say like the best way to approach it will probably be to take Gooden by knockout at plus 400. Um, that's more than likely his best path to victory. I feel as though Randy Brown will be the better round winner or at least minute winner in this fight, but he's going to be in tremendous trouble as Gooden starts landing those kicks over and over again. And it doesn't even seem like Brown was that confident in terms of switching his stance when Alex Oliveira was so successful with the leg kicks. Obviously, didn't matter as he was able to land a beautiful punch to put Oliveira on, on the ground and then follow up with this jiu-jitsu but here against Jared Gooden you know if he doesn't land that punch to ground him he's going to keep eating those shots uh, or, or those leg kicks and I think that could cause some trouble for Randy Brown here I, I think the best way to approach this fight if you do like Randy Brown is maybe live bet it you know what I mean you'll probably get a better line on him going into that second round and at least you'll be able to see how uh consistent and and um and efficient Jared Gooden is going to be by throwing those leg kicks out there because they will be very effective. We know Randy Brown has been, uh, you know, really... Um has been taken advantage of in those aspects of the MMA game in the past. And I feel like a guy like Jared Gooden can absolutely implement those as as even a plus 200 dog here. I think this is a good shot for him to go out there and do that. Again, you're, you're talking about a high variant spot as well, right? When you're talking about striking and, and a guy finding that, uh, that knockout, which I think Jared Gooden will be able to find out. But it helps and it makes it slightly uh, less variant uh then uh you know when um you have a guy like jared gunn who's going to be implementing that leg kicking game and again you you bring it down to the calf it gets even more effective and randy brown stands so wide it just seems like it's on on a silver platter for you to be going out there and throwing those leg kicks um Again, fan of Randy Brown, think the odds are a little bit too wide, and I feel like Gooden can uh, bring that hard-nosed striking style that eventually find that chin of Randy Brown. Uh, and, and again, the, those leg kicks, which should slow down Brown, allow Gooden to open up the hands, and then find that chin and follow up with the with the knockout here. So I am going to go with Gooden for the upset here at plus 400 via KO. I think that's not too bad of a line. I wouldn't be surprised to see the line on Brown move a little bit more higher as people continue to parlay him or even just play him at this wide line so we might be able to get a better line on good and by ko if we just wait a little bit longer again it's only monday of fight week so we, we don't even have full props out for every single fight so i'm interested to see how this line moves as the fight week progresses but i do like jared gooden in this spot he is going to be my pick uh and one of my main underdogs on this card here so i'm going jared gooden and i'm going to take him to win this fight by knockout let's call it first round i'll go first round knockout for jared gooden Mackenzie Dern versus Marina Rodriguez. We got minus 160 on Mackenzie Dern and plus 140 on the brutal striker Marina Rodriguez. Let's start off on the Rodriguez side of things, who's coming off a short notice main event slot against Michelle Watterson, where she was able to grind that fight out, uh, pretty much pick apart Watterson from distance, and then win that fight via decision. Uh, she did give up one takedown in that fight. I think uh, Watterson went about one of five on takedown attempts in that fight and managed to accrue close to four minutes of control time. I believe it was a third or fourth 
fourth round where she had tremendous success in terms of landing some good damage and control time from on top on Rodriguez and that's pretty much as binary as this fight is going to get in terms of breaking it down with we know Mackenzie Dern requires the takedown to be able to get the victory here whereas Marina Rodriguez needs to keep the fight on the feet so that she can start to exploit that striking that uh, Mackenzie Dern has been showing over the last couple of fights now the famous thing has been that uh, Mackenzie Dern obviously working with Ruka and uh, Jason Perlo over there and really trying to fix the uh, you know the the weakness of her of her striking specifically so that she can go out there and uh, you know do work on the feet if she needs to and then eventually set up that takedown so she can get the uh, you know, really impose her uh, strength, which is a jujitsu game. She's going to have to go through a hell and high water to close that distance here against Marina Rodriguez. However, I think all she needs is one takedown in this situation to truly have success and poten potentially lock up a submission. Now, the advantage that Marina Rodriguez has on the feet over Mackenzie Dern is not as wide as I think with Dern on the ground against Rodriguez, if you guys are following me there. Uh, you know, uh, something that me and John Stargarian, who comes on my prop show for the fight night events, something that we talk about a lot is that the, the there's there's low variance in the grappling realm of, a, of an MMA fight, whereas there's higher variance whenever you have a striker going out there and you're expecting them to knock out an opponent. Like, they need to find that perfect shot or an accumulation of strikes to be able to get their opponents out of there whereas if a fighter is able to complete a takedown and they have a major advantage over their opponent on the ground more than likely they're going to be able to get that finish or at least take home a decision by continuously grounding the fight with that said I gotta go with the grappler in this fight I do like what Mackenzie Jordan's bring to the table not saying that she's going to be much competitive on the in the striking realm but I think she'll be able to remain safe enough so that she could eventually push uh, Dern, uh, uh, Rodriguez up against the cage and find that takedown. She had a very nifty takedown against uh, Nina Nunes in her last fight where she was able to get that body lock and then find an inside trip to get the fight to the ground. And then from there, she was able to do work and then eventually get that armbar victory with 12 seconds left in that first round. For me, I, I really believe that uh, Rodriguez will struggle in terms of getting back to her feet. And by all accounts, it looks like uh, Mackenzie Dern's... Uh, um, cardio is actually on point and i think she should be able to do that for as long as she needs to until she eventually finds a submission now it looks like the widely available total uh actually doesn't uh, not sure what it looks like at all i'm recording this on monday of fight week and it just looks like uh, according to best fight odds the only two totals that they have available is the over under two and a half uh over two and a half at minus 160 and then the over three and a half is currently sitting at minus 145 the fight doesn't go to decision however it's minus 210, so there's a little conflicting uh, numbers there in terms of the odds that we're seeing in this fight. I do expect this to finish inside the distance, though, because I believe if Rodriguez has enough time on the feet, she will be able to find that overwhelming TKO here against uh, Dern. And then on the flip side, I think if Dern gets this fight down, uh, more than likely she'll eventually find a submission as I don't really think that Rodriguez has much to offer off of her back as we've seen in past fights and now she is going up against the best BJJ specialist she's ever fought yeah I think she's going to be in some trouble so uh, earlier before I even jumped into the tape I was a little bit on the Mackenzie Dern side of things and I started thinking about it and I'm like hmm you know Rodriguez has looked has looked pretty good but she does still get taken down that's the issue Amanda Hibas had success in terms of taking her down and I put Mackenzie Dern's jujitsu jiu way above what 
what uh, Hibas uh, brings to the table. Although, you know, Hibas was able to go out there and defeat Mackenzie Dern and Dern's, I believe, lone loss in her professional MMA career. But I think that uh, the offensive jiu-jitsu that we're going to see here from Mackenzie Dern is going to be much better uh, than what we've been seeing from the past, uh, especially with Hibas uh, when she was able to get Rodriguez down in that first round and then took a little bit too long to get her down in the second round and ultimately paid for it. I lean Dern here. I lean the inside the distance as well, roughly around that minus 210. I do think that at a certain point, we'll see uh, Mackenzie Dern lock up a submission in this fight. So in terms of props, uh, Dern to win by submission plus 150 makes absolute sense absolute sense sorry and even plus 1400 on the tko now hear me out like in the grappling realm there's always a uh uh there's always the chance that we could get an overwhelming tko ground and pound on the ground i know during more often than not seeks that submission so i think that's what we're going to be seeing from her but if there are certain cases where rodriguez is doing a good job in terms of defending the submissions i wouldn't be surprised to see Dern, you know get those dominant positions and then just start raining down blows ultimately forcing the referee to stop the fight with that said, I am going to go with Dern by submission. I'm going to say second round submission here for Dern. I think she eventually gets this fight to the ground. And I think it's going to be a wrap pretty quickly after that. So I'm going to go Mackenzie Dern via second round submission. And that's a wrap on the breakdowns. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast and the episode. If you guys haven't already, please hit that like, hit that subscribe. And if you want to show your boy a little bit more love, check out the Patreon. Link is in the description below. Five bucks a month, a tremendous amount of value on that Patreon. And then obviously you guys can hear what I said in regards to what other perks you guys get on the Patreon in the intro, or even just check the description below and it will let you guys know there. Also, shout out to CoolBet. Once again, CoolBet.com. Use promo code MMALOTN2 and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. Trust me, you're going to want to check it out. All right. Good luck to you guys on your bets this week. Thursday, obviously, uh, propping you up with John Stargarian. And then Friday, I have a special guest. Somebody you guys may not know too well, but the guy is very, very sharp with his bets. I've been talking to him over the past couple of weeks. Uh, and, and a good friend of somebody that was recently on the show as well. So not a big name, but somebody very closely involved with the MMA world. And has definitely been gambling very heavily on on fights for the last several years and been very successful at doing so so i can't wait to share his insight with you guys as well make sure you guys check it out friday night 9 p.m eastern for the ultimate wayne show and then obviously saturday fight day live chat 1 p.m eastern will likely be not the time that i go on it that's my normal time fights kick off at 1 p.m Eastern, or sorry 1 30 p.m eastern so i'll probably look to do it at maybe 11 a.m eastern fight day live chat maybe about an hour or two before the fights actually kick off taking all questions comments and concerns for you guys to make your last minute wagers on the fights this weekend all right once again appreciate you guys checking out the show hit that like hit that subscribe check out the patreon check out cool bet good luck on your best this weekend and i'll see you guys next week